Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Aryan, your host for this episode. And I'm Ishvara. Before we start the case for today, we want all of you to go over to our Patreon and subscribe for amazing exclusive features. To help the podcast out and to avail these benefits, go to www.patreon.com/desicrime and select a tier that works best for you. We'd also like to thank our newest patrons, Tushar Arya, Rahul Yelena, Dhruv Patel. Thank you all for all your support. Home, a word that denotes haven, tranquility, and family, but it often transforms into a hell for many. Houses are fascinating. Take the cement structure of a home that hides away tales and tragedies, musings and maladies, all while standing upright and resolute. From the outside, a house can cast a certain image and connotations. A tin-roofed hut in a slum, for example, connotes suffering, ailment, a sick child being nursed by an even sicker mother, reeking sewage. On the other hand, a grand mansion symbolizes prosperity, wealth, grand dinners and children running around the fireplace and solemn happiness. But that's not what makes houses fascinating. It is the juxtaposition they offer that does. That slum could very well have a kid studying endlessly under a light bulb while her mother smiles away as she cooks a simple stew. Happiness can easily be found regardless of the exterior. Vis-a-vis the grand mansion that exudes stature and class can hide behind its walls dark secrets one such mansion stood on 20 grass tree close bridgman downs queensland australia this is the story of its inhabitants and their dark secrets this is the story of the singh and sikha family Oof, Aran, a Singh family and a house in Australia. I'm getting Anu Singh flashbacks. I hope <laughs> this is not an Anu Singh part two. Yeah, sure. I'm just you know replaying an old episode because I was too tired to write a new script. Act <laughs> as if this is the first time you're hearing about it. No, in all seriousness, when I stumbled across this case, I couldn't resist an Anu Singh flashback. But the crazy thing is that that's not even the crazy bit. The crazy thing is that this case in my opinion is more mind-boggling than Anu Singh. For example, it led to the largest investigation by the Queensland Police Department spread across 5 and a half years mm. involving more than 100 police officers, 100 witnesses, 1500 lines of inquiry wow. and 300 DNA profiles. That investigation was followed by the Queensland Supreme Court's longest ever trial that resulted in a verdict many dispute to this day. And the craziest thing is 
probably the fact that you and most of our listeners have never even heard of this case. Crazier than Anu Singh is obviously a very high bar to beat <laughs> and everyone that's ever heard Anu Singh knows that but this sounds yeah. like it it sounds like an insane episode but I haven't heard of this one so tell us where in Australia are you taking us for this case Fix your earphones and sit straight as we head to the southern hemisphere to a country that absurdly enough calls itself a continent good old Australia At the easternmost end of this landmass is the well-known city of Brisbane the capital of Queensland. For all my fellow cricket fans and true patriots, it's the city that's home to the Australian cricket team's erstwhile fortress, the Gabba Cricket Ground, where the Indian team beat them. All right, so after me claiming on this podcast, confessing on this podcast that I haven't watched Shole, this is the second point of information that's about to get me a lot of hate is that I'm not a cricket girl. at all and everyone in my family is ashamed of it but i don't tell us didn't you just witness india losing the world test championship to australia ashwara this is a true crime podcast not a sports podcast <laughs> so i'd appreciate if you stick to the case uh, at hand yes. instead of research trying to change the topic <laughs> yeah i i have no idea what you're talking about i wasn't there i wasn't crying um <laughs> but just a 20 minute car ride northwards from the gabba cricket ground is the northern suburb of bridgeman downs It's slightly on the outskirts of this very happening city but nevertheless Bridgeman Downs is a posh neighborhood. In this neighborhood stands a two-story mansion, beige bricks and a red roof decorated exterior. The address is 20 Grass Tree Close, Bridgeman Downs, Queensland, Australia. It's a big house made for a big family, the Singh family. Vijay Singh, his wife Shirley Singh and their four kids live there. 24-year-old Neelma, 18-year-old Kunal and 12-year-old Siddhi, the youngest daughter. The fourth sibling, 26-year-old Sonia Patek, was married and lived with her husband but often visited the 20 Grass Tree Close house because she lived in the same neighborhood. The family was of Indo-Fijian descent. Interesting. Indo-Fijian? What the hell is that some of you may ask? Well, Fiji is a small island nation in Oceania off the coast of Australia. Up until the 1980s, more than 50% of this island's population was of Indian descent, predominantly, you guessed it, Bhojpuri. So, what are Whoa. my Bhojpuri brethren doing on a small island on the furthest fringes of Southeast Asia? Well, once upon a time, our colonizers the british took a few of them from parts of avadh so basically uttar pradesh calcutta and some other southern provinces to fiji to help them out with work except the help was indentured labor and the work was slaving away on sugar and tea plantations ashwara on 14th of may 1879 the first shipload of 498 indians set oh, sail wow. from calcutta and in the 37 years to come over 61000 indians were shipped off to fiji indentured laborers worked in appalling conditions for a 5 year mandatory period after which they could return home In 1916 this practice was finally ended and Indians could finally visit the island nation as free agents the community flourished pre-existing indentured labor was freed and thus the indo-fijian community sprang to life as of 2007 37.6% of fiji is composed of indo-fijians equating to roughly 313000 people 
of this tightly knit 313,000, six moved from Fiji to Australia in 1993. Aryan, this is so interesting. Like we obviously know of Indian immigration to countries like Australia and to India and to the UK, but we never discuss and never truly study mm. or know about these other like random parts of the world where there's Indian migration. For example, I recently figured out there's a lot of Indian migration or was to Guyana, and so there's a large mm. part of the American Indian community that's part Guyanese and part Indian. Such an interesting like combination of demographies, and there's so many countries like that. It's just fascinating. Ishwarya, I was so shocked uh, when I was a kid for some competition. I don't even remember. I think it was called QCC or something. I visited Mauritius, mm-hmm. and as mm-hmm. part of the competition, we visited the president's house. And when I when I entered the president's house, turned out the president was Bihari. The president of Mauritius was Bihari. So these pockets we, of we have you no know idea, the yeah. Indian community, we have no idea. But suffice to say, this was, for that very reason, a tightly knit community. Vijay Singh operated an automobile export business and relocated his family to the gargantuan island adjacent to their home island in the hope of an even better life. Not that they were poor to begin with, but the thirst of wealth and success drives even the best of us. In May 2002, the family moved to Bridgman Downs from Stafford. A year went by. Business was good, the kids were good, and consequently, life was pretty damn good, or at least it appeared so. Almost a year after they moved into their new abode, on April twentieth, two thousand three, Easter weekend was around the corner. Now, Easter is a Christian holiday and celebrated across Australia, and is usually a long weekend. The two-story mansion was quieter than usual this day. Both Vijay and Shirley. were not home in fact they were not even in the same country part and parcel of vijay's import export business was business meetings abroad especially in his home country of fiji a few days ago husband and wife had left for one such routine trip leaving the kids alone under the supervision of their eldest daughter sonia but while the younger siblings visited sonia's home for breakfast all three neelma kunal and siddhi spent the nights alone at their 20 grass tree close house april 20th was a sunday easter day the singhs were hindus and didn't necessarily partake in easter as such even though they celebrated the festivities with their friends kunal was due to go to a party that evening you see he was a popular high school student adored by his friends but he politely declined the invite his elder sister neelma who was in charge when sonia wasn't around wanted a quiet night to herself upon her request kunal heeded and told his friends he would be staying in siddhi the youngest sister of 12 years she meanwhile was getting on neelma's nerves the day before neelma was on an international call with her mother shirley complaining how siddhi wanted to sleep on her bed because she was scared Neelma liked her private space and felt like Siddhi was encroaching. The solution was that Siddhi gets to sleep in the master bedroom while the lights remain turned on. Win-win for everyone. As for Neelma herself, that Easter night, she was chatting with her friends via MSN Messenger and printing prayers. These Hindu prayers she was printing was for her dear friend and lover Masimo Sika, lovingly known as Max. 
You see, Max was suffering from a brain tumor and said that he had just a few more weeks to live. Oh. Neelma was very close to Max, and the news of his fourth stage brain tumor came as a shock to her. She used to print Hindu healing prayers for him, just like she was doing that night. She used to give him these blessings, hoping divine intervention could cure him. Little did she know that soon she was to be on the receiving end of thousands of such prayers pouring in for her. While this was happening in Australia, meanwhile, several hundred miles away, Vijay Singh, in his hotel room, was awoken by a nightmare. He dreamt of a lady draped in black with a dark aura looming over her. Oh, so a literal nightmare. A literal nightmare. A bad All dream. Right. A dream gone yeah. wrong. But in later years, Ishwarya, he retrospects that to be an ominous sign of what was to follow in the days to come. The weekend turned to the weekday, and Easter was soon over. As Monday dawned, the Singh Manor was eerily quiet. Nothing about it looked disorderly from the outside. Like I said, the exterior stands upright and resolute despite the contents of its walls. Max texted Neelma. No response. Sonia texted her siblings. No response. Kunal's girlfriend Katrina Lee McElroy texted him and called him incessantly, but yet again, no response. The house was engulfed in radio silence like an unmanned spacecraft adrift in space. Monday, April 21, went by without any communication. As the 22nd of April approached, the Singh siblings were still unreachable. Neelma had an interview scheduled at 10am at the flight centre. She was an aspiring air hostess and this interview was pivotal in securing a job. The flight centre tried ringing her, but her phone pinged as switched off. Neelma never showed up for that interview. Max grew more and more worried. So he decided to take the matter in his own hands and take his kids to go watch a movie with the Singh siblings and consequently check in on them. Wait, 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 hold on. Max has kids? How old is this guy and isn't he dating one of the daughters that's in her early 20s? At that time, Ishwarya, 2003, Max was 31 years old. That is a seven-year gap between him and Neelma, hmm. who was 24. Not only was he 31, he had two kids from his previous marriage. Wow. Again, this is this is not something Max had hidden from Neelma or her family. His ex-wife and children were common knowledge. But right. that is not to say that is a non-negligible age gap. Yeah, I think we've had a lot of discussions on this podcast about what's a creepy age gap, what's a normal age gap. Um, and obviously, he was honest and upfront about all of this. But it's obviously a high-risk relationship, as I like to call it. Somewhere, someone, Ishwara, is listening to this podcast expecting me to make a cheesy Leonardo DiCaprio joke. <laughs> but rest assured, I wouldn't. You know, I'm tempted. <laughs> I'm tempted. But I wouldn't. I, I do realize the subtext that accompanies an age gap like that. But for now, let's keep that glaring detail aside. Max was worried about Neelma. She hadn't been responding to his texts. So Max decided to take his two young kid and his niece over to watch a movie. When they pulled up to 20 Grass Street close around afternoon, a quiet, unperturbed house awaited them. Max, his 11-year-old son Daniel, and his niece knocked on the front door. There was no response. They then knocked on the back door. Again, 
no response. Max sensed something was awry. This wasn't a simple I am busy leave me alone. It felt like something sinister was at bay. What it was he didn't know, but he just felt like something was off. He handed his keys and three of his four phones to his son and told the kids to rush back to the car while keeping one phone on his person. He sensed danger and didn't want the youngsters to be in harm's way. He proceeded to force entry through the back door. He was gone for a while, approximately half an hour, when he returned with their dog, Bujo, a jack terrier whom both him and Neelma had raised together. Bujo was glued to Max, who instead was sobbing, tears flowing unhinged. Max came out, dialed the emergency number 000, and his call turned that house into a crime scene for the days to come. Twenty grass streets soon turned into the longest ever crime scene in Queensland history, spanning 30 days, followed by the biggest ever investigation by the Queensland Police Department spanning five and a half years and subsequently the lengthiest trial in Queensland Supreme Court history. But before we dive into what happened in the confines of that house, let's meet the family that lived there. Who were the Singhs really? Were they a happy family, sturdy like the mansion they lived in? And who was Max? How did he meet Neelma? Where there is a crime not too far away is a broken household, a fraught childhood and a troubled kid. To find out this family's dark secrets, we turn the clock all the way back to 1993 when the Singhs emigrated to Australia. In 1993, the family of six moved to Stafford, a suburb of Brisbane. Vijay ran the auto part import business while Shirley was a massage therapist. Vijay had a moustache and something Mm -hmm. tells me that he was a good-looking bloke back in his youthful years. But now, after four kids, a beer belly adorned his abdomen. In Stafford, they moved on Trout's Road and found a budding friendship in their new neighbours, the Sikas. The Sikas hailed from Naples in Italy. Carlo and Anna Sika had three kids, Claudio, their eldest son, Roseanne, their daughter, and Massimo, their youngest son. And by Massimo, you mean Max, right? Yes, yes, Massimo is Max. So Max was a neighbor to the Singhs. Very much so. And you pointed out the uncanny similarity between Anu Singh's case and this one. But Ashwa, did you realize Joe Chinkwe was also from Italy, much like Max. Joe's parents too had immigrated from Italy to Australia. Going back to my first point, Aran, I was just telling me the same case and I've changed the names. This is eerily similar. I I promise you there are no major similarities anymore. (laughs) This is where the case gets crazy, complicated, and super desi, but with a Fijian twist, so to say. Hmm. Now, Max's family runs a typical Italian business, an Italian restaurant, more specifically, a pizzeria. You see, pizza originated in Naples, and since the Sikas hail from there, they brought with them their culinary secrets. But in contrast to the Sikas' culinary secrets, the Singhs had secrets of their own. Suffice to say, Vijay and Shirley weren't your typical desi couple. Far from it, really. 
While the timeline is unclear, Vijay and Shirley frequented swinger clubs and swinger groups. Oh. Essentially, that means switching partners to have sex with another couple. One of my learnings growing up is just realizing and becoming aware of the fact that swinging is so much more common than a child, me as a child might think. Way more common. Way more common. Yeah, um, it's kind of surprising. <laughs> it's omnipresent in many ways. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, by the looks of people, you would, you know, don't judge a book by its cover lies here because you look at a certain couple and you go, oh, look at this traditional couple dressed in traditional clothing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah you, you never know no what's idea. happening back home. Hey, more power yeah. to you. You know, you do you. Yep. This took place over the years and the Singhs admittedly had slept with several men and women in this process. But that wasn't it, Ishwarya. On at least two occasions, Vijay and Shirley had also invited sex workers to their Stafford residence. And if all that sex wasn't enough for Vijay, back in Fiji, the import-export businessman had other dealings unrelated to his business, around six to seven mistresses. And Ashwara, if that's not enough sex for you, and I strongly Jeez. believe that is more than enough sex, Mr. Vijay also had intercourse with his nephew's wife. Oh, and Whoa. not just intercourse, but he filmed it. Don't judge a book by its cover, don't judge a home by its walls, and don't judge a marriage by the smiles. These were but a few of the dark secrets saddled in the Singh household, but sexual promiscuity weren't even the worst of them. So you started off by saying that they were swingers, but then you dive into the fact that Vijay had six to seven mistresses. So was all of this part of like a consensual arrangement of him being able to have these mistresses and being able to like have sex with his nephew's wife? Or were parts of this secrets hidden under the garb of like chosen consensual sexual preferences? These were a hodgepodge of consensual and, and non-consensual, non-consensual. That's um, what tends to happen, ethical yeah. <laughs> and unethical. Uh, yep. That is, and which is what tends to happen. But Ashwarya, I am no one to judge someone's sexual preferences. As you know, as long as it's consensual and it doesn't harm anyone else, you do you. Vijay's infidelity aside, because as you said, that has ethical grounds for criticism. The right. consensual polygamy practiced by the couple was their business. I'll tell hmm. you where I take issue. And when I say I take issue, severe issue. In January 1997, when Neil was just 16 years old, she had fallen in love with a boy, Amit Lala. This was young love, first love, the kind where you talk on the phone endlessly all night long. It was an innocent love. But that innocence was soon to be defiled when in October of 1997, Vijay found out that his daughter was talking to a boy. Neelma hopelessly tried to hide it, but once Vijay's suspicions were confirmed, he picked up a cue stick lying nearby, the long wooden stick used to play billiards or eight-ball pool, and whacked his 16-year-old daughter. Not once, not twice, but endlessly beat her up. Neelma was bruised and battered, unable to walk, let alone attend school for the next three days. The police were called and Vijay was apprehended. We make fun of white kids being able to call the cops on their parents and how they are so coddled and weak. But honestly, the other extreme of Desi households where corporal punishment in the form of beatings is equally unhealthy, if not more. 
I'd wager it's more unhealthy. It leads to a cycle of coping with stressful situations using violence. In fact, one of my biggest regrets is hitting my younger brother a lot because that's how I'd learned conflict resolution from my parents. Vijay posted a $1,000 fine and a three-year good behavior bond was signed. Now, a good behavior bond is a non-custodial sentence contingent on the offender's good behavior. Hmm. Despite all of this, Ashwarya, it's not the violence that pisses me off. I understand its widespread prevalence in Desi households. Perhaps, to an extent, I'm impervious to it. What pisses me off is the hypocrisy. You live such a liberal and promiscuous lifestyle riddled with sex and debauchery and your 16-year-old daughter cannot talk to a guy? And let alone talk, she is brutally beaten up, aka assaulted. Not my words, that's how the court classified the beating. While you are cheating on your wife, inviting sex workers and swinging with other couples. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say Vijay sounds like a hypocrite and under the mask of a quote-unquote progressive man with a quote-unquote progressive sexual life is a father who has a daughter being beaten up this brutally where the cops have to be called for just talking to a guy, something literally every teenager goes through. I would much rather him be a traditional dad practicing those conservative values. Yeah, so at, at least, least there's aware. some consistency, Absolutely. right? This, the cognitive dissonance um, he's allowing for in this moment, um, I've never come across such a case where you're so liberal on one end and so conservative on the other. But I perhaps, perhaps the silver lining here is that despite the violent interference, it didn't hinder Amit Lala and Neelma's love. What did hinder it was another guy, another love, and the roller coaster nature of teenage love. At the age of 18, in August of 1999, Neelma moved to Fiji to work in the hospitality industry. She became a receptionist at the Raffles Trade Winds Hotel in the city of Suva. There, she met Jasveer Singh, nicknamed Viru, and fell for him. But unlike her dad, she realized the importance of loyalty. And despite her heart's desires, chose not to act upon them because she was still dating Amit. Her stint in Fiji lasted only four months and she decided to come back to Brisbane in December of that year. Her feelings for Amit were waning and her ambitions for her career were growing. Still focused on hospitality, she wanted to join Emirates Airline as an air hostess. As cheeky as it may seem, she was well-suited for that role. Young, stylish and pretty, Neelma had everything it took to be a hostess for one of the world's leading airlines. So in the first month of the new decade, January 2000, she broke up with Amit on the grounds that she didn't want to be tied down. The breakup must have been hard, but it was mutual and amicable. But it would still take a while before she could realize her dream. For now, back in Brisbane, Neelma became a guest service agent at the Pacific International Apartments. But let's step back for a second and analyse the Singh family unit as a whole. After moving to Australia in 1993, their relationship with their neighbours blossomed. The Sikas and the Singhs got along very well. This was in stark contrast to the Singhs' personal relationship, which was tumultuous, albeit spicy. The year was 2001 and Shirley had recently started her massage and beauty business. Often she worked from home and often her boomer generation technical aptitude forced her to seek outside help. 
But she didn't have to go looking too far. Her neighbor's youngest son, 31-year-old Massimo Maxica, was a computer whiz kid. While facing one of her IT ordeals in May of 2001, Shirley sought Max's help. In what can only be described as a cringy Karan Johar Bollywood plot, when the nerdy computer guy came to help the technically challenged aunt, he <laughs> fell for her daughter. This was the first time Neelma was meeting Max, and as if instantaneously, Amit Lala and Viru were figments of the past. Max and Neelma were love at first sight. But if Amit, someone Neelma's age and from the same community was not good enough, how could a 31-year-old Napolitan with an ex-wife and two children qualify in Vijay's Oof. books? This had to be kept a secret. Secrets ran galore in the Singh household, the lies surmounting into an inescapable web slowly but steadily. Now Max frequented the household, finding one or the other excuse to help Shirley out. In a couple of months, the attraction grew into a fiery affair. In September of 2001, they began dating and in Max's family home in Burby Island, two hours away from Brisbane, they consummated their relationship. They were mad for each other. The honeymoon phase just didn't seem to end. They couldn't get enough of each other. But just as this passion was growing, Neelma's ambitions were about to be realized. In February of 2002, she was accepted to begin flight attendant training for none other than Emirates, which meant she'd have to pack her bags and move all the way to Dubai, putting a pause if not a full stop on the couple's physical proximity. But many long-distance relationships find themselves spoiled with insecurity and desperation. Max got desperate. And it didn't help when Vijay found out that Neelma was talking to a boy, much like she was in 1997. This time, however, I don't entirely blame Vijay for his annoyance, because how he found out was a little ludicrous. Back in 2002, when WhatsApp and FaceTime didn't exist, the young couple talked via international phone calls. Ashwara, towards the end of March, when Vijay was scheduled to pay for the family mobile bill, there was a spurious $1,000 surcharge. Oh my God! When he dug into it, it was from calls by Neelma in Dubai to Max in Australia. Their relationship was uncovered at a hefty, hefty cost. Literally, Max feared he'd lose Neelma. So, in what came as a shocker to Neelma and Neelma's family, the 31-year-old neighbor asked Vijay for his daughter's hand in marriage. What do you think, Vijay said, Ashwara? I'm just envisioning him saying no, followed by a tirade of curse words. Aran, I don't know, Desi parent vibe. Ashwara, Vijay had learned his lessons from the good behavior born. He didn't use his hands. But he didn't hold back his tongue, to say the least. It was a zealous no. No, you 31-year-old white guy, you can't marry my daughter. You already have two children and an ex-wife. The argument escalated. Threats of violence were made. According to Vijay, quote, Sika said he would take my daughter no matter what happens, and that made me really upset. And we started arguing. And I did threaten him. I said I will smash your face with a brick, and he also threatened me that I don't know his capabilities, and he will bring me down. Wow. End quote. 
the neighborly ties were now embittered. The threat of violence loomed over the Singhs and the Sikhs. But that didn't stop Romeo and Juliet. They continued their long-distance romance, but both were unable to live without each other. They needed physical contact. They pined for it. Max told Neelma that he'd risk it all and move to Dubai if he had to. He also promised her that he would help her find a hostess job in Australia at Qantas, one of Australia's leading airlines using his connections, if only she came back. And Neelma wanted to come back badly. At the same time, tensions between the Singhs and the Sikhs was worsening. The ever-present danger of physical escalation prompted the Singhs to up and move. And that's how in May of 2002, they moved to 20 Grass Street Close in a separate suburb of Brisbane away from the Sikhs. Neelma missed Max, and so in what one can only call a naive impulsive decision, without informing her parents, Neelma dropped out of flight attendant training and moved back to Australia. But not where you think she did. She moved in with Max in his vacation spot on Burby Island. Those were a steamy 6 months that followed. But too much steam blew the lid off, and young love is young love after all. Max's promises to secure her a job at Qantas had been a sham. He had merely said whatever he had to to get his lover back. And they both slowly began to see each other's flaws on prolonged exposure to one another. Aran I know we're talking about these two people in the context of their families and so they might seem like kids but they're both fully grown adults like one is in her mid 20s and the other is a 30 year old man and this seems like rather childish behavior like we're not talking about a teenage love we're talking about fully grown adults in a relationship and they come off as incredibly childish Right if you would tell me it's a they're 18 and 20 years old I would exactly. readily believe that because they fill that archetype of young like extremely mm-hmm. young lovers but yep. nevertheless it's these stories of you know love leading to impulsive decisions even in your 30s and late 20s mm-hmm, yeah. aren't unheard of By the end of June the two had had enough of each other Max made an anonymous call to the Singhs and informed them of their daughter's whereabouts Not soon after, Neelma was back to her new place, 20 Grass Tree Close. When Neelma was back, it wasn't her father that assaulted her, but her mother, who was intolerant of her daughter's deceptive decisions. Her disapproval was understandable, but the violence that ensued wasn't. But here's the caveat I offer to all of you. The violence wasn't bereft of context. The Singh family wasn't faring particularly well even though their business was booming. Vijay's mistresses were coming to light, not one but a handful. Shirley just couldn't take it. The marriage was on the cusp of deterioration and Shirley had briefly sought solace in smoking and alcohol, though these habits were temporary. Max and Neelma meanwhile were in the off and on stage where they talked, had sex, but weren't necessarily dating. Things took a weird turn in October of that year when Shirley flew to Fiji to confront one of Vijay's mistresses and in wanting to do so she took her then 23-year-old daughter along juvenile to say the least to put your child in such a situation nonetheless 
Neelma was fuming at her father. In an email addressed to Max, she wrote that she suspected her father of quote cheating with six or seven women end quote while away in Fiji on business, and she asked Max to have her father quote beaten and bruised. The obvious implication there was that she wanted Max to beat her father up. Shortly thereafter, this request was ordained by her lover. The Singh family was in absolute turmoil. For starters, random threatening calls were made to the household. On one occasion, a Fijian man can be heard threatening Vijay. Quote, you are fucking with my family and I'm going to fuck with your family. End quote. While the identity is unknown, most suspect it's the husband of one of the mistresses. Around that time, their youngest daughter Siddhi confided in her school counsellor that Vijay was assaulting her. These claims, again, mind you, were never substantiated. By assaulted, you mean sexually assaulted or beating her up like he did Neelma? That's a good question, Ashwara. And I had the Mm -hmm. same um, pop-up when I was researching. From my reading, some media outlets report sexual assault is what Siddhi confided in her counsellor, while others just say it was physical assault. Despite all of this, um, it is worth mentioning that there was an investigation into this and it wasn't substantiated. There was no uh, proof for these allegations. Now, of course, there are uh, a couple of scenarios possible here. One is that yeah, yeah, there is no these things are just hard to prove, yeah. right? How do you prove that a kid was sexually assaulted, right? Um, but on the other hand, um, perhaps yeah. it was just uh, physical assault because this kid was growing up in a turbulent household and being able to confide in a counsellor, getting attention was pivotal because she was lacking that from her family. Right, that makes sense. I can see either being plausible, but obviously either is equally tragic. We're seeing the physical violence in this case as, I guess, less problematic just because there's more problematic stuff going on. But that's very unfortunate. Such a young kid had to go through all of this. Ashwara, the rumour mill wasn't just churning. It was in full sway once these allegations surfaced. Email forwards were making the rounds in the Indo-Fijian community. Back in 2002, a Yahoo forwarded email was the equivalent of a WhatsApp forwarded text message you get from your mom or the family group. That was the metric of virality. And emails from a certain Raj at Hotmail.com containing lecherous allegations against Vijay for molesting his kids and cheating on his wife were making the rounds. Now, I personally find the email very fascinating. Raj at Hotmail.com. You know, if you're a guy named Raj, that is a pretty, pretty cool email to get. Aryan, you don't have to tell me how cool that is. I've been recently trying to change my name on Instagram to my nickname. I'm not even like creating a new name. It's my nickname that I've lived with my entire life. Oh my God, is it impossible to find yourself a name. Jeez. (laughs) Parents, when you have a child, the first order of business needs to be you securing an Instagram username for them. That's the only way I can put it. Of the countless things I'm grateful (laughs) uh, to my mom for Putting an extra A in the middle of Ariane, it just made this vanilla name into this unique little, you know, quirky double thing where I get any username I want. In fact, recently I purchased (laughs) arianemistra.com. But yeah, don't go to that website. (laughs) It's a spoof website that my friends created. Um, 
But in November of 2002, the brewing tensions culminate into a violent altercation. You remember that request from Neelma that um, her father is bruised and beaten for his mistresses that she sent to Max? Well, in some way, shape or form, those wishes came true. Vijay and Shirley got into another one of their heated arguments. But this time, Ashwarya, Max shows up to their house possibly on Neelma's insistence. He was there to confront Vijay about the molestation charges. But in his ardent desire to prove his love and machismo, his actions tarnish his relationship with Vijay and the family forever. Once the fighting match between Vijay and Shirley began, Vijay went to his study and locked himself in there. Soon, he heard a key inserted into the lock and the knob turned. Max stormed into the study, strangling Vijay as he lifted him by the neck. He threatened to kill him. Quote, I know what you did to your daughter. I know what you did to us. I can cave your fucking head in right now and get away with it. Capiche? End quote. The police were called and the brawling duo was separated. Max was now a persona non grata in the Singh household, not welcomed even by his beloved Neelma. And on her latest trip to Fiji, Neelma had recommenced her affair with Viru, the same guy she met while she was at a hotel as a receptionist. This time, it wasn't limited to words and emotions. It seemed like Neelma and Max were moving on. They still talked, although lesser. Neelma grew fonder of Viru as they spent more time together, while it seemed like Max was starting new relationships of his own. But in March of 2003, out of nowhere, Max shared with Neelma his tumour prognosis, final stage brain cancer. She still loved him, or at the very least deeply cared for him. That's why she was printing out Hindu prayers for him to heal. But Easter 2003, changed everything. Flashback to 22nd April 2003 when Max walked into the Singh residence. He met their dog who leapt up onto him but could see distinct trails of blood leading to the bathroom. The bathroom itself was empty but the bathtub was covered with sheets. Under the sheets were bodies. Three dead bodies. The lifeless corpses of Neelma, Kunal, and Siddhi. Listen, in his own words, what Max saw as he walked into 20 Close Street House. So, you've gone and you've got Brent's bedroom and there's blood on the floor. Yeah. That's not No, it's not. But, yeah. And, um, so basically I, um, followed um, the, uh, the trial, but I, I stopped because there were a few other rooms that um, were on, on my left and I sort of looked in one of them was where the other trial was coming from. And um, yeah, I, I just had a quick look in uh, both both rooms and the bathroom and that. And um, then I could sound, which um, was water running. And uh, I, I, I followed it into the main room, which is the master bedroom and into the bathroom, basically. Yeah. When you looked into the other rooms, did you notice anything particular about that? Was there only one other room no, with blood in it? Or? Uh, well, from what I saw, there was only one other room with blood in it. I didn't really 
you know, I didn't, like, I can't picture it in my own head, but I know that I looked, you know, like, but I can't see the picture in my head. Are you panicking at the store? Uh, not from what I, like, panic, not as in panic, I was, I don't know, um, worried, maybe, shocked, um, didn't know what was, but I did, you know what I mean? Didn't know what was going on, but I sort of did, and, um, yeah, I wasn't, yeah. When you say you didn't know what was going on, but you sort of did, what did you know? Well, basically, I, I, I knew blood, and um, basically, you it's, know... It's not looking good. Yeah, it's not looking good. So, you've gone into the main bathroom and yeah. onto the main master yep. bedroom. Yeah, in the master bedroom, and I um, went into the bathroom, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, I noticed the tap was running, and the... Um, and um, so I went in and uh, switched that off. No, I didn't switch that off. I first did something else, which um, I can't say due to the investigation. What I can say is that uh, I didn't know exactly what was in the bathtub until I um, did something else I, with the piece of wood that I had in my hand because I couldn't see. And Was the, was the, the uh, bath covered? Uh, I can't say what word. It right. was covered, so yeah, and, and you couldn't see. So um, basically, um, yeah, I put the piece of wood in and tried the lift. It was there, and when I did that, uh, hand popped out. So um, what I did then is I threw the uh, piece of wood to the floor and just took everything off, off the top. And um, yeah, that's when I found it. What? Well, um, what I could see is I could see him. And uh, I could see um, the hand and the leg, and which was Sidi's, but I couldn't actually see Sidi because she was underneath her. And um, Kunal was against the jet on the other side, but I couldn't see his face, just his leg and his eyes. Yeah, and the jet was still going. Did you know that they were doing that? Yeah. Three harmless souls were snatched away. No clear motive is apparent. Was it revenge on Vijay for cheating with other women? Or was it Vijay himself? His track record of abuse was well documented and rumoured for sure. Once the police arrived on scene, it didn't take long before their eyes shifted on an altogether new suspect, Massimo Sika, Max. In what was to be Queensland's largest ever investigation, details about Max's history emerged that threw the country into a wild goose chase. Could Max really have done this? Remember when I said, Ashwarya, where there is a crime? Not too far away is a broken household, a fraught childhood, a troubled kid. Always. Neelma wasn't the only one from a troubled household. Find out in the next episode of Desi Crime who Max was and what happened to the Singh siblings on April 20th, 2003. Until then, stay safe, stay crazy and stay Desi. (laughs) 